testing. 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 Are we testing? Testing. testing. I'm testing. Are you testing? I'm testing. I'm testing. We've tested, and we tested well. Oh, did we test positive? Yeah, Words we in the word. Here we go. Negative for COVID, positive for the Holy Ghost. Oh, that yeah. might have been one of the best jokes you've made this month. That I, was solid. I was up. I was getting near the end of the month, so I was wondering. Um, and uh, well, you were you were due for a hole in one, and you you hit that perfectly. I just I nailed it. I nailed it. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm grand like a baby piano. Um, other than you know kids and life and craziness and they're gonna get off for the summer apparently i can't take them back to school in the summer i've tried every year um but uh there's nobody there <laughs> what you can do is you, you you could if they leave a door open just put them in school and just see what happens i'm i'm with that i'm with that just sort of spend time with the janitor like <laughs> picking gum off things for the whole day so Anyway, speaking of, of um, apocalyptic aloneness, um, I want to read you some song lyrics. Oh, please do. Josh, I love it when you read me song lyrics. Well, I know you do. I, know mm. you do. I try to do it in a, in a nice, kind voice. Um, yeah, j just so for our, view uh, our viewing audience, our listening audience, it's in the, the, the least creepy way possible. Like yes. He's very respectful in the way he reads song lyrics. <laughs> I do try my best. I do try my best with my um, my sort of caramely golden tenor. Um, mm. So um, this is this is from, and I won't mention the band by name, but this is from one of the bands in uh, in one of the Christian bands in the eighties. Petra, um, Petra is it answer Petra? It is not Petra. Oh! It is not. So it's one of the other four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and here we go. All right, you ready? I won't even tell you the title. Um, I was feeling kind of restless, so I went out for a walk, and I ran into a stranger, and for hours we just talked. Said I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for this moment all my life. This is it. And when I asked him to explain it, he just smiled and told me, 666. He said things will get much better, and then... And the night is New Age Eve. I can even change the weather. I can do things you won't believe. I got songs and wonder in my bag of tricks. Mmm, tricks. Wow. When I asked him to explain, he just smiled and told me. 666. Man. I said, Jesus, won't you save me from this evil man of sin? I've read about his future. I don't want to go with him. And when I looked, he had gone. But he left a note that said, my number, my number, my number is 666. When morning came, I laughed at what I thought was just a dream. And when I went to call my neighbor and tell him what I'd seen, when I reached for my address book, I felt sick. Ooh, sick. Because written across a page, every, one, every number there was... What was it, Dan? Six, six, six. Yeah! Whoa! Man. <laughs> Robert Frost be put to shame. That is poetry. <laughs> that is sheer poetry. I, I, and I, I'll Man, give you... To just, to grow up in, a, in, a, in the ethos where, like, that 
song makes sense is so that's an interesting mind experiment to me yeah that's true that's true yeah to do realize that you have the context for a song like that <laughs> is pretty like existentially unnerving um yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give you I'll give you a couple guesses as to what the title of the song is. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean this is um so that's that um and I will tell you I heard that song on cassette. Um, kids, ask your parents. Um, the when I was uh eight, and it scared the crap out of me. I was oh, dude. dude. Yeah. If I had a dime for every time I had like a revelation theme nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I would I would be I would have a few of those. I mean, I yeah. I would have I would have lots of dimes. Um I would have a lot of them. I'd probably have like 666 of them, which would be creepy. Oh. <laughs> uh, so Whoa. So I want to talk about this. Um the mark the mark, the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. And that, that finds its um, origination in Revelation 13. May I read it? Please you? do. And it was allowed... Uh, this is discussing the second beast, I believe, in this, this context. Yeah, so the, the first beast has a wound, and he gets healed from it miraculously. And then the second beast gets everyone to worship the first beast. That's the one. Yes. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six six six. Whoa. Dun dun dun! <laughs> hey. Um. So I find that very strange. Um. I don't because I grew up with it, but now, as I try to stand outside of it and look at it, I find it very strange. What is going on, Dan? Well, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in us somehow. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Revelation 13 is describing. Well, I, thanks for, for listening, Again, for everyone. our listening audience, I jest completely. That was an offhanded, maybe even an unfair comment, but... Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe. But but this is, this is what we get stuck on. So an important thing to see in this context is the larger context of what revelation was and what saint john was writing at the time uh, yeah i mean so like there are if you do any any reading on like the nature of not just like what revelation says but like how it says it and what kind of genre it's in like there are lots of different types there are like five basic types of way like basic ways of interpreting revelation and i think the one that we've dealt with the most because it's the, the, the type of interpreting revelation that's been made popular by, like the Left Behind series, for instance. It's, the, it's called the, the, the Futurist Perspective, where the events and the details of revelation have nothing to do with the first century context and have everything to do with only, and again, the, the word is only, 
It has everything to do with only predicting things to come. In that case, like Revelation really wasn't written for the first century church or the second century church or the 10th century church. In that sense, Revelation is is only written for the generation of the church that is going to take part in the end, the end times events. And I think that has some pretty fatal flaws in it, in that mm-hmm. you're working, if, if you're a futurist, your working assumption is that there's an entire book of the Bible that means virtually nothing to anyone who's ever read it before us, possibly. Because if you were from the 12th century, well, very clearly then, if Revelation is talking about future events, and those future events didn't take place in the 12th century, well, then the book of Revelation couldn't have been written to you. And so, like, the futurist's interpretation of Revelation assumes that the, the only community that can read and make sense of this book is the community that is going to be raptured from the earth, let's say. And in that sense, it, it, like, it excludes most of Christians throughout history from actually reading engaging with and then being edified by this book of the Bible. And so uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the futurist, or at least I'm not a fan of a strictly futurist rendering of Revelation. I follow a guy named G.K. Beale, who uh, came up with this notion that it's called, a, he came up with this idea of like a modified, redemptive, historical idealist perspective, where not only is Revelation describing at least some things that happen in the future, but more importantly, for the community now, what Revelation is really trying to get at is this confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, and how the kingdom of God inevitably overcomes the kingdom of Satan through the blood of the martyrs and the word of uh, and their and their faithful witness to who Jesus is. In my mind, that's a far more fruitful way to think about what the Book of Revelation is. And in that context, then, we can maybe rethink the way we think about the Mark of the Beast or 666. Like, is it, is it the name of the... the who, who was the Antichrist in Left Behind? Um, Nicholas, Nikolai something. Nikolai, yeah. yeah. Nikolai something. Yeah. Like, is, is, is the Mark of the Beast trying to predict his name? Or is something else happening with the, 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 uh, the number 666? And if so, how does that help us maybe reinterpret what the mark of the beast might be and why that affects the, the, the Christian's relationship with the modern world? I, and I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the right question to ask, but that's just kind of where I go. Um, right. there, are, there are, as you know, Josh, there are some people who think that for certain, 666 meant Nero, who is why? the first century, why? first century emperor. Like maybe maybe just help help some of our listening audience understand like what is six 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 and how on earth does six 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 become Nero? Right. What what is that? Right. And and uh, disclaimer: Nero was weirder than a bucket of hair. Like he was the weirdest <laughs> guy, and he like was bloodthirsty was, and vicious and all sorts of things. He was a things. fiend. Yeah. So he sounded like the person Saint John describes multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um. And his, it's the 666 is, what is it? The sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, if you look at it upside down or something. It's called a, uh, a geometria, name? where so every, every uh, 
letter in the Hebrew and then the Greek alphabet wasn't just a letter. There was also a number associated with it. Right. And like if you, if you add up D-A-N, let's say in Greek, then my name would have a number because delta plus alpha plus noon, not noon, sorry. Uh, like that, that, that equates to a, a number. And in, in, in the same way, some people say that 666, if you look at it sideways in a, in a, in a very weird Hebrew spelling, this, this can actually spell Chiron uh, uh, Neron is what it would spell, okay. which adds up to 666. Right. The issue with this is that like it needs to be in Hebrew, but John's speaking to Greek, speak, Greek speakers. Always. And it's, John and it's, never and writes it's, in Hebrew. No, and yeah. as well, like, it's got to be a very funny spelling of Chi, like Caesar Nero. It's not the, mm-hmm. the normal spelling. And so it's kind of like a, um, like a, a square peg that's fitting into a rectangular like, slot. Like it kind of works, but it doesn't really fit the bill. It's and an alphabetical are, rhombus. It's yeah, a rhombus. Could, um, <laughs> and the term again, because I cut you off when you said the term was, is it geometria? Is that yeah. the term? I'm pretty sure. And from what I understand, that that was not a kind of numerical code that John used. Uh, any other place in Revelation? Not any other place in Revelation. So, for instance, like the 144,000 saints that go in right after. This is in Revelation 14. Mm-hmm. So the 144,000 saints that go into heaven. Like that 144,000 has n- like no geometria assigned to it. Like that doesn't add up to... Israel plus the church or, you know, something crazy like that. It's like, yeah, there are lots of numbers in the book of Revelation that have nothing to do with geometria. And Mm so uh, it was popular for a while to say that 666 very clearly is Nero um, because he's killing Christians and he very, very, really looks like the the, like the, the beast that's described in Revelation 13. Right. But when you, when you begin to look at the whole picture, the fact that, John really doesn't care that much about using geometria, and the geometry that's here doesn't quite fit the correct spelling or the correct alphabet that normally would be used. Right. Eventually, you have to come to the realization that while it's likely, or while it's possible that it could be a geometria, it seems very, very unlikely. So, it's and it's interesting um, because, you know, the way numbers work in the Bible is a whole list of episodes in itself. Um, yeah. And I would say the way numbers work in John, too, um, that the John has a tendency, from what I understand of John, he has a tendency to um, present wholeness and, and a way of using numbers. 144,000 is a factor of 12. It has a wholeness to it. There's threes. There's all these sort of whole numbers. And the idea, perhaps where John says, like, this is the number of a man, is an incompleteness with a number six. Um, And man being created on the sixth day, and the idea of humanity without God, something like that. Um, You know, so again, so like, if if the book of Revelation is futurist, and that it's predicting events, mm -hmm. then the 666 has to refer to a specific human being that's going to happen in the future. Right. Right. if you instead begin to realize that John is communicating symbolically, and so like locusts are not Apache helicopters, Shoot. right? 
right shoot. That just, Ugh. I mean, that, that was half of my childhood nightmares were just that right there. <laughs> Absolutely. I was waiting for them to come. Yeah. I, oh, man. So given the fact that the book of Revelation is highly symbolic, and given that it's giving Christians at any epoch in history the strength to resist worldliness, I think we need to begin to re-envision what 666 might be. Maybe it's not a specific person, and maybe, as you're saying, Josh, we need to interpret this symbolically as John's play on a, a generation or a group of people who are so given to evil that they become, quote-unquote, in your language, incomplete human beings. And so mm -hmm. if seven is the perfect number and the number of wholeness, then six would be a slightly diminished version of that, or it would right. be an unwhole number. Right. And there are many good scholars. G.K. Beale is one of them who say that it's very likely that this is the case. In fact, he even goes so far to, to uh, look at verse 18, and he looks at, like, the, like, for it is the number of a man, or anthropon. And he would say that translators are making a decision there. Like, is it man, or is it a class of humanity? Right. And so the number of this, this group or this humanity of people is incompleteness hmm. and their incompleteness then represents what the the kingdom of the devil is trying to do in this world they're trying to influence influence it in a way that steals glory from god and corrupts the image of the beautiful image that was originally given to god's first creation and you'd even get this if you look at um for instance um there's a a, a verse that says the beast is given the power to breathe life into the image. I forget what verse it is. I'm looking at right now. That's just uh, up from where we are. Um, yep. Yeah, verse 15. 15, yeah. And it was allowed to give breath to an image. Like, does, that, does that smack of anything that God did in Genesis 2, where he creates an image of himself out of the dirt and breathes mm -hmm. life into it, and suddenly this humanity or this Adam is given life in a way that represents what God wants in the world. Now you see the exact opposite of that happening in Revelation 13, where this beast or this antichrist, whatever it might be, yeah. creates an image and then breathes life into him. And again, it's, it might not be a specific person. It might be like a group or a type of person that are so given over to, and again, the, the kingdom of the devil that they begin to perpetuate the type of culture that the devil wants, as opposed to the Genesis 2 type of creation that God is trying to create through humanity, where uh, humanity is trying to create a world that's flourishing as opposed to a world that's incomplete. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I fully piece that together, but that's kind of where my mind goes right now as I think about the relationship between the Christian and Revelation 13. What might this yeah. be saying to a Christian today? Right. Right, and I and I think, um, <clears throat> sorry, I just remembered this story. I have sort of a friend of a friend, um, some family friends who, his parents um, ran a small Christian bookstore, like a mail-order Christian bookstore back in the 80s, out of their house, and they, and they both died very quickly, out, one after the other. And he was cleaning out their old warehouse, and he found a pallet 
of copies of 88 Reasons Why Christ is Returning in 1988 by Hal Lindsey. Oh. And, and I mean, this is it's like 1999 yeah. when he found it. But I just thought, that's where these things go. I mean, and people have been doing it forever. Forever. Oh, forever. my goodness. And American evangelicals, we think we invented, like, left behind the sort of esoteric readings. They've been yeah. around for a long time. I was reading in this article that um, there were a hundred different names proposed for the 666 Tetragrammaton um, over the centuries, and probably way more than that. You know, everybody's found Hitler, they've found Bill Clinton, they've found everyone. Stalin, who knows? Yeah. And it all, and it all you know, sort of casts back on the person's particular political views. Tells me more yeah. about them, probably. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's also really interesting in that, like, we... So, like, okay, so the 666 is, is supposed to be written on our, our, our forehead mm -hmm. or our hands, which, you know, maybe it's a tattoo, maybe it's a microchip, who knows? Again, that's a very futurist view where, it, it, like, this, like the, the mark of the beast is something literally explained. Mm -hmm. I, I find it really interesting that in the first century, like, Emperor Claudius, for instance... He extended a special grace to the Jews, knowing that the Jews would not worship his image. They would not worship the, the cult of Caesar, uh, but also recognizing that Jews offer sacrifices and prayed for uh, the emperor and the nation of Rome or the empire of Rome, uh, you know, wanting to respect their difference on some level, gave them access to the markets, mm -hmm. despite the fact that they didn't worship his image in mm -hmm. the emperor cult. Mm -hmm. Now that's that that smacks as of something that John seems to be alluding to, or a fear that John seems to be alluding to in that. And so, like, like let's say you're a, a citizen of Corinth in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a big city, but it's not that big. Like, and everyone's going to know. Like, there are there are lots of Caesar festivals everywhere, and everyone's going to like. You you live pretty close to people, and so if. If everyone's out celebrating uh, a holiday to Caesar and worshiping his image, they're going to know if their next door neighbor Bob or Sue Christian like right. isn't doing it. Their absence will and be it, noted. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you and again, almost always the the temple to Caesar was directly adjacent to the agora or the marketplace, and so mm -hmm. if you weren't worshiping there, you don't get access to the market. And so Emperor Claudius gives a special uh, immunity to Jew to the Jews saying that not only do they get access to the market, they also get access to special types of food that they need to keep kosher. Right. Um, and the reason this special immunity was given was because they, like Jews in the Mediterranean, in, in the Mediterranean world, they wouldn't worship Caesar. Now, mm -hmm. I find it very interesting that the, the mark of the beast, whatever it might be, is directly associated with having access to the market. Hmm. Now, I think what John is doing is he's, he's playing into a, a, a reality that all Christians could have or might have faced, which is if we don't follow uh, everyone in worshiping the image of Caesar, we might actually lose access to our food and our, mm -hmm. our, our access to productive resources. Mm -hmm. That was a, a very real fear. And if that's true, and I really think it is, Bruce Winter wrote a book called, um, what is it? Divi the Divine Honor of the Caesars, something like that. Um, 
But he, he wrote a book saying that this was a real threat to Christians in the first century. The fact that mm-hmm. they might lose access to marketplaces and productive resources because sure. they wouldn't worship yeah. in Caesar's temple. Mm-hmm. And Christians had to face a decision. Like, what's more important to me? My, my life here, here now or my faithfulness to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Now, okay, mm-hmm. given that question was a real question for first century question, Christians, do you think that question is also extremely relevant for 21st century Christians, Josh? Like, what is more important to us, our faithfulness to Jesus or our capacity to fit in? Right, right. And to fit into the, the cultural theme of our time. Yeah. Um, and, and which one would we, yeah, which one is more important to us? And Because that's, that's the way... Honestly, the way the, whatever you want to call it, because I, I, I think, you know, like you're saying, that Revelation has a message that's for all of church history, and Correct. that there will be these persecutions and everything that have come and have come and have come and have gone um, all through the centuries. And the way they come is not usually with a big label that says, we're here to persecute Christians. Here's a gun. Don't believe in Jesus or die. Yeah. Um, what it usually is is something like that, like, oh, well, now you can't be a member of this club anymore, so you can't make these connections. Well, I, and let's say, let's say this as well. Like the, 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 Caesar, the cult of Caesar was fun. They had great parties. I mean, they had, I don't know what the modern-day analogy would be, but like, you, like if they had a party, you wanted to be there, and Caesar yeah. was footing the bill. I mean, it's great. Like, it's just going to be a party for everyone. <laughs> sure. And now Christians are like, thanks, but no thanks. Can't be there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the, and the whole attitude at the time was, it, they would say, we worship we worship a different God, Jesus, you know. And the whole attitude at the time would be, well, who cares? Just come anyway. Yeah, because why not? That didn't matter. They had 40 gods at home on the shelf, and, and Caesar was one of them, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, but the other gods don't seem to mind. And the, and, the more, the merrier. You know, and let's, the on, let's, let's honor yeah. all of them as opposed to one in specific. Right. Right, and and there's there's a sense of of that in our culture as well, where there's, you know, oh, just just toss that particular theological belief you have or whatever yeah. that doesn't that that juts up against what the what the culture is doing right now, and keep this part, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, yeah. isn't it amazing? I, mean, I think this gives us connection to our brothers and sisters in Christ from the first century, in the same way they wrestled with the tension of being a Christian in the Roman Empire and having to give up really good or fun things out of faithfulness to Jesus, I think so too. Are, like As 21st century Christians, we're also wrestling with the very same things. Like, what, what are the aspects of our faith in which like, we can't give them up without giving up allegiance to Jesus? And what are the aspects of our faith that are cultural and maybe we can adjust based on what the culture is doing? Like that, that's a live tension that every Christian throughout history has had to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. And I think the book of Revelation is written mm-hmm. to actually give us wisdom to sort through it. So again, like how, how do Christians overcome? Like it's the, the, the blood of the martyrs and the, the faithfulness of their testimony. Like if, we're, if, we are, if we are, again, well, we don't exist in a context where we have to be martyred. But I do think the faithfulness of our testimony is... Um, is something that we have to hold fast to. It's, it's something that we cannot be willing to give up. 
Well, and you have to look at the context, I think, of that revelation as well that becomes relevant to us. So there was a sense in which, um, you know, Christians were being persecuted for standing up for, um, at the time, would be deformed babies. They were one of the yeah. few people groups that would do that, and they were per persecuted for that act of justice, absolutely. They were, but largely in Revelation, they're being persecuted because of specifically theological beliefs that set them apart. They mm -hmm. worship Jesus, not Caesar. And it's not that they're being persecuted because they're standing up for the voiceless. Yeah. They're being persecuted because of this very, very specific, almost abstract concern. And that's something we have to keep in mind where people say, oh, I won't persecute you because of your faith. And we think, oh, yeah, okay, well, just hold on to the justice thing and the love thing. We love that. We like that part. This weird stuff about Jesus, we can take or leave. But we say we can't take or leave it. We say that's where the love thing comes from. <laughs> yeah. Like, G Jesus is the foundation on which we understand the language of justice to begin with. Right. Right. So. So, Josh, what do you think the book of Revelation in general and the Mark of the Beast in specific is saying to Christians today? You know, um, I think there is a sense... I appreciate this theme of completeness and incompleteness, mm -hmm. um, where there there is a sense in which you know we we have a we have a world now where we've got the psychology and the medicine and everything else to complete ourselves, quote unquote, um, in a way, especially in the West, um, that doesn't have a theological uh, that doesn't apparently need a theological mooring. Um, yeah, and I. I think we as Christians always need to cry incomplete. Oh, that's amazing. You know, we always need to say, nah, whatever that is, you can make it as fancy as you want to and do as many double-blind studies on it as you want to. Without God, it's incomplete. It's 666. Yeah. It's not the real thing. It's not all the way there. Yeah, um, if Jesus is the true image and 666 represents the beast with an incomplete image... Christians are called to, to uh, ponder what, like, what are we giving up when we give up the full, beautiful image of Jesus in, in our lives? Yeah, that's a, I don't know, that's a, a, a question for fruitful inquiry, I think. Absolutely. And we wait for completion. We don't have it. Oh. And that's, that's the deal. Pax Humana. Cheers. Cheers.